O God, it is true what we have sung about you. Your giving knows no ending. You have never, ever stopped giving. We breathe. Our hearts beat because the gift goes on. As we wait upon you now, teach us the implications of that grand truth as Holy Scripture speaks to our hearts. Let us hear what the Spirit who inspired these words would teach us in this third millennial journey of ours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody has once quipped, If you think nobody cares, try missing a couple payments. We live in a nation that is maxed out in credit debt. We are more than two payments behind. Pastor Skip the other day was listening to uh, National Public Radio on NPR that afternoon. He heard a documentary producer and an author being interviewed. He was so fascinated by what the man was sharing over the uh, broadcast that he went out immediately, Skip did, and purchased the man's book. After he read the book, he was so blown out of the water by the research in this book that he made a mistake and told me about it. I said, I have to borrow your book. And he graciously loaned the book to me. I just finished reading the book this last week. The book is going to scare you. It will make you mad. It will open your eyes to a vignette about credit and indebtedness you perhaps never have seen before. The book. I have it right here in the pulpit with me. Here it is. This is James Skurlock's book, Maxed Out. See the picture of a credit card, don't you? Subtitle. This is, this is the, the catchy subtitle. Maxed out. Hard times, easy credit, and the era of predatory lenders. Mm. So I read the book. I've gleaned some statistics, and I have to share them with you. I want you to brood. Not, not, not this morning. You'll have uh, time later to think about it, but I wish you'd jot these numbers down. Take your study guide in today's worship bulletin, please. Pull out the study guide. I want to give these numbers to you. These aren't all the statistics in the book, but I'd like you to have these. Think about these for a while. So take the study guide. I see our ushers are ready. If you didn't get a study guide or several of you came in, nice to have our nuptial pair. This will be the last time they'll be pretty newlyweds. There are ushers here as well, and so uh, hold your hand up. If you didn't get a study guide, just hold your hand up. You're in the balcony. Do the same. Yep, I see hands in the balcony. Thank you, ushers. And those of you who are watching on television right now, we're delighted to have you. Go to our website. Let me put it on the screen for you. www.pmchurch. That's Pioneer Memorial Church. Easy to remember. pmchurch.tv. We're doing a little mini-series here called Awkward Ambitions. And inside the mini-series, there's a little two-parter that we start today called The Ambitions of a Middle Class. So you'll find Awkward Ambitions. Click on there. Then the, the, uh, this will be part one of this little inside the mini-series, minier series, The Ambitions of a Middle Class. Click on there where it says Study Guide. You'll have the identical study guide that we have. I want you to get these numbers, please. So everybody has it? Good. Keep your hand up. The ushers are coming to you, but I'm not going to wait. Let's go. Take a look at these numbers. Now, this is from, this is from the book, Maxed Out, James Skurlock. Americans today, here comes uh, statistic number one. Americans today are declaring bankruptcy at a rate now ten times that during the Great Depression. 
Isn't that something? That was the most economically uh, bottom-dropping moment in American history. Ten times greater than the Great Depression. We're declaring bankruptcy today. Here's another one. Over the past generation, our incomes have risen an average of 1% in real terms, while our household debt has increased over 1,000%. 1,000, to the factor of 1,000, our debt has exceeded the increase of our income. 1,000 times more. Amazing. Here's another one. The credit industry. Oh, boy. Can you believe this? The credit industry now collects $20 billion per year in fees that didn't even exist 20 years ago. They are making money today. You get fined if you pay early. You get fined if you pay late. You get fined... Fees for everything. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Yep. $20 billion a year now. Wow. Here's another one. According to the Federal Reserve, 12% of young families. Okay, who would, who would qualify here today as a young family? Let's find out. Those whose head of household is 35 to 44 years of age. We've got a bunch of you. 35 to 44 years of age, are you the head of the household? Then you qualify. The Federal Reserve has told us that these young families, 12%. Write that down. 12% of these young families are more than two months behind on their debt. And that was back in 2004, which was twice the percentage of 2001. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, the young, the young are getting sucked into maxing out in debt, credit debt. Not just the young. We'll talk about that in a moment. Of course, we know. The, oh, look at this. The collection business, the next statistic. The collection business employs nearly 3 million collectors. A 100% increase over the past decade. You get those phone calls. You know about those phone calls. You fall behind. Boom. Somebody who says, I'm your very good friend named John. And where you've been all my life will be on your track for the rest of your life. You stay behind, he'll never forget you. And then there's one more. Jot this down. Three quarters. Isn't this something? Three quarters of Americans, just like you and me. How, if I said, if I asked the question, how many of us consider ourselves middle class? Every hand in this church would go up. Every hand would go up. Three quarters of Americans consider themselves middle class, think that they're doing better, three quarters of them, than their neighbor. And close to half of them are planning on winning the lottery before they retire. <laughs> You're going to need the lottery. We're going to need the lottery because of private indebtedness. American private Personal indebtedness. We'll need that lottery before we're through. Amazing. James Skurlock produced a documentary film by the same name, Maxed Out, then wrote the book. In the book, as in the, in the documentary, story after heartbreaking story of Americans who have gone through the crisis of debt. Not just, not just senior citizens, not just young adults, the whole spectrum who have experienced financial meltdown. And do you know what financial meltdown is the, pre- the precursor to? It's the precursor to emotional meltdown. There are now statistics of young adults who are so overwhelmed by their indebtedness that they are choosing the only recourse they can think of, which is suicide. You can't believe it, ladies and gentlemen. Something has happened to this affluent nation, and we are a debtor nation. We have maxed out in our wallets and purses. We have maxed out. You say, well, that, that, that really, that isn't life in our, in our little community, in our, our parish. Oh, you're not, you're not serious, are you? True story. True story. 
I had a young university student in my office, in my office, sitting down. He's in tears. Do you know why this young man is crying? He is crying because he has maxed out. He has his parents' credit card. Mistake number one, they gave that credit card to him when he went off to Andrews. He has taken his, cre- his parents' credit card. And he, has, he has maxed it out. And I don't remember the number. Somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000. And he's weeping. Do you know what ended up happening to that young man? He stayed in school. But his mother, she moved out of house with Papa and husband. She moved into town, yanked that boy out of the dormitory, rented an apartment, put him there, and monitored him for the rest of school. You can't tell me we don't know anything about indebtedness. We know a whole lot about indebtedness around here. You know what? You can shop at the university bookstore. They're so happy to have you that after you buy your book, in the bag in which your book has been placed, little credit card applications are slipped in just in case you need another credit card. It's all a part of a system. Get the young into credit. Get them, get them in debt. Please. Maxed out. Listen. I have a little girl. She's 21 now. Can't believe it. She's in college. She's married. And she no longer lives with us. Lives down by Fort Riley in Kansas. Chrissy, do you know that Karen and I are still getting mail addressed to Kristen, maiden name Nelson, at our house, inviting her to take advantage of this wonderful opportunity to have our credit card in your collection? She started getting those invitations at the age of 16. And they're still coming to our house. American credit, those corporations salivate, salivate to have the young. In fact, truth be known, truth be known, American creditors prey on two helpless demographic slices, the very young and the very poor. That's where they make their money. Do you know what? Let's keep talking about indebtedness. Have you ever heard of Sally May? Sally Have you? Oh, you sure have. This is a university audience. You ought to have heard of Sally May. Sally May is a government, government organization that provides money and incentive to private credit corporations to get these corporations to take advantage of citizens of the United States. Those citizens are called students. Sally May sells money to students. $123 billion from Sally May to American stu- Adventist students. Do you understand that some of our students here at Andrews University who are dependent on total financing for their education here, by the time they graduate, just four years down the road, by the time they graduate, they possess a debt the size of a home mortgage and they're not even married yet. They will carry that debt for the rest of their lives unless somebody steps in and says, Honey, I'll help you with that one. I know it's low interest. It's still debt. And you're stuck until it's paid off. And the new Bankruptcy Reform Act took care of ever being able to declare bankruptcy from a student loan. You are stuck. The only two things you're stuck with in life. You're stuck with a murder rap and you're stuck with a student loan. How do you like that? In America, the two things we won't forgive, your murder... And your student loan. Wow. How many of us as adults were saying, oh, go, you go, kids. Hope you get out of it. How many of us as adults sitting right here in worship before God, in fact, know the truth? We are suffering. We are suffering from suffocating debt 
ourselves. Nobody knows, nobody knows, but you and God and your bank and your credit card. Nobody knows. It's the one subject we cannot talk about. We're so filled with shame. Uh, James Skurlock says, hey, I know exactly what you mean. In fact, take this. uh, There's a quotation from his book that I put there in the study guide. I want you to just fill in a few words. Even now, Skurlock writing, even now, I hesitate to reveal it. Maybe it's because of what David Ramsey, Christian financial counselor. He's got a column in the South Bend Tribune. I see his column. You can hear him on the radio. The guy has good, good counsel. Good counsel. David Ramsey. Maybe it's because of what David Ramsey calls the intense shame. Write it in. The intense shame that everybody feels about debt. The false certainty that everybody else has got it together. I'm the only one in debt. Oh, boy. If we asked you to raise your hands, if we asked us to raise our hands, how many hands would go up today? You are not alone. Or maybe it's what Bob, the Debtors Anonymous member I interviewed, told me. Debt is simply not a socially acceptable topic. One can talk about one's sex life or even one's drug addiction as though it were fashionable. But owning up to one's financial troubles means being ostracized from the world of polite conversation. End quote. How true. How true. But let's make a deal, you and I. This Sabbath and next, let's bring that taboo subject. Let's bring it right here into the center of polite conversation, even as we worship. For the next two weeks, let's talk about debt. Let's do. Let's explore it together. There's got to be a way out. Don't you suppose the God of the universe, who loves earth children more than anything else he's ever loved in all his life, don't you suppose the God of the universe has a way to set us free from the ball and chain of personal indebtedness? Don't you think God can set us free? It's going to take some work, of course. But He can set us free. You don't have to go home today with a heavy heart. This is Memorial Day weekend. The the original Memorial Day is when the God of the universe stretched out His arms and He said, I'll die a bond slave to evil so that I will shatter the head of that serpent. And I'll die for the right to set you free one day. He surely, He surely has the freedom we're seeking. So let's let's go to the Bible. Let's go to a a letter written a hundred... in the first century A.D., written by a war horse missionary evangelist named Paul to a young preacher, pastor named Timothy. Open your Bible, please, to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. If you didn't bring a Bible, you've got, you got to see this for yourself. These words really are in the Bible, so grab the Pew Bible in front of you. It's page 800 in the Pew Bible. Same translation I have here, the New King James. Let's let the, the Word of God speak to us for a few moments this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, drop down to verse 6, please. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, now godliness... And let's read this out loud together. If, you don't, if your translation doesn't work, read it off the screen. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. I want to read that again with you out loud, please. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Look at verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world... And it is certain we can carry nothing out. True story. I saw, I saw the picture of a casket being buried. The deceased in repose in that casket. <laughs> He's dressed up like a rhinestone cowboy. He had his sequins. He had the little leather, the white leather straps all over him. He's lying in repose in his casket. And a photographer took the picture of the moment when the gold casket was being lowered into the ground. Gold, because it was a gold Cadillac. And he's lying in the driver's seat. And they're bearing the whole nine yards at his personal last wish request. 
But the verse we just read says, no, oh, no, no, you can't even take your Cadillac with you. Can't take it with you. How did that verse read? For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out of it. Nothing. Look at verse 6 again. Write it down, please. Now, godliness with contentment. Write that word contentment in, please. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. And right here, though, he, though Paul, too, sleeps in the dust of the grave, the Apostle Paul puts his apostolic finger upon the crux of our awkward middle-class ambitions. Contentment. He said, hey, boys, hey, girls, let me talk to you about contentment. Somebody once wrote, contentment is the most precious possession a man can own. Contentment. Contentment. After all, you think about it. Think of all that you and I have purchased in order to buy contentment. A lot of what we've purchased has been purchased on credit, by the way, hoping that this purchase will surely bring me that contentment. Billions of dollars spent every year in the United States. You know what? You know what for? For the latest electronic gadget. For the latest toy. For the latest toy. Billions. I don't know if you happen to look at the youth fairground when you came to church today. In first church, I just, I said, you know, I said, what, what, probably 150? Somebody came up to me afterwards and says, Dwight, the number is 150. There are 1,100 motorhomes parked over there. Now, I'm happy for people who own motorhomes. There's nothing wrong with a motorhome per se. I am curious. I don't think those were all bought with cash. (laughs) The value of real estate sitting on that hunk of youth fair grounds. It's massive. It's okay. Of course, enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. Use your motorhome. Watch out for the gas. <laughs> billions of dollars spent every year. I'm not faulting the billions of dollars. It's just that we're trying to buy contentment. Some of us are. Some of us are turning to entertainment. Billions in the entertainment industry in the United States alone. You know why? Because I want contentment. I want my heart to be satisfied. I want my life to be at rest. Billions of dollars every year spent on physician-prescribed drugs. Why? Because I'm not sleeping well, Doc, and I'm just, I'm just not feeling good, and I want that contentment. Billions on self-medicating alcohol every single year. Why? I want contentment. It's, our, it's the awkward... Ambition of a middle class in this nation. We've got to have contentment and we're going into debt buying our contentment. Contentment, that that line we just wrote in our study guide is absolutely true. Contentment is the most priceless possession we can own, which is why with such alacrity and certainty, Paul can write verse 6. Read it again. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul is not suggesting that we have no needs. He's not suggesting, well, you shouldn't have any desires. No, it's okay. We've got to have desires. But do you see what Paul does? What Paul is suggesting is that contentment, you want contentment? Jot it down. Contentment is a state of mind based upon a way of life. That's what contentment is. It's a state of mind based upon a way of life. What kind of way of life? Well, 
Keep your pen moving. It's a way of life that is satisfied with the bare essentials. Jot it down. Food and clothing. He's just said it. You be content with food and clothing. As it is, how many, today will, how many today will go to sleep tonight without those three? Without food, without clothing, and without a bed. You have. Look what you have. Look what I have. Food and clothing. He says, be content. The awkward reality of our middle class ambitions, jot this down, is that they are driven by a consumer society that has pounded it into our brains. Contentment comes from more. From, just give me more. That's the very antithesis of what Paul is trying to teach us. No, 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 no. Time out, time out. Contentment comes from less. Write that down. Contentment comes from less. Let's put it on the screen. Contentment comes from less. For you see, contentment is a way of life. Based upon a state of mind. So I suppose, friends, if we could just train our minds to seek less rather than more, we'd be taking the first step toward unshackling our lives from this crushing indebtedness. You don't need as much. I don't need as much. Do we really? Look at verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men and women in destruction and perdition. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Paul is not decrying wealth. My friends, he's not saying, Ah, the problem is wealth. No, 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 no. God gives wealth to His earth children. Get this. God gives wealth to His earth children for one reason, so that we might help Him advance His kingdom on earth. That's why there's wealth. Paul is not decrying wealth. He's decrying the love of wealth. I just got to have more. I just, is, there, is there another sale on? Is there another sale? Where is it? I got to have more. More and more. We're never satisfied. You come home and seven days later, you got to go shopping again. What's up with that? And I'm not being hard on the ladies because, guys, it's true. The technology end of life is what keeps sucking us in. Got to have it. Got the, the latest piece of technology? Give me that. I'll just use my little card here. Won't cost me much. If you only knew how much it'll cost you. Look at Balaam. You ever heard of Balaam? Guys, says, don't go. He saw the dollar sign. He said, I'll go. Look at Judas. Why is Judas a story the world will never with heartache forget? Because Judas was driven by that discontentedness. i got to have more. Thirty what? Pieces of silver? You got him. Sold. You got that man Thursday night. How did Paul put it here? These are people who have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Put the line on the screen again, please. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret to indebtedness is actually tucked away in that tiny little line, godliness with contentment. Because may I remind you that in the English language, godliness is, a, is an abbreviation of another word. And the other word is godlikeness. Godlikeness. So godliness is godlikeness. And what is God like? Everybody knows what God is like. The most beloved text in all of Scripture tells us what God is like. In fact, let's just say it out loud together, you and I. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is God like? Write it down. He loves and He gives. And truth be known, He loves to give. That's God. You want to be like God? You want to be godly? God-like? Love and give. And love to give. That's it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the secret. Came across a book written by Ed Gungor. Oh, I love the title of this book, written just last year. Religiously Transmitted Diseases. Isn't that good? Religiously Transmitted Diseases. In, in the book, he describes these dangerous, dangerous blessings. What prosperity does to the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. How we handle prosperity or do not, or how it handles us. And then he makes this point, and I want that quotation for you to keep. And so it's there in the study guide. Fill it in. You've got to get that first word, giving. Giving. Can we put it on the screen, please? Thank you. Giving touches a nerve in us that nothing else does. We look a lot like God when we do. And then he quotes John 3.16. Listen, I like this. When you give, you defy the fear that you won't have enough. That's good. When you give, you're actually challenging. I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough. I defy that fear. I go ahead and give. You insult, jot it down, you insult greed, the impulse to acquire or possess more than one needs or deserves. If you really believe, Dwight, that God owns it all and that He is your source and provider, giving will be a simple matter. And now here comes the, here's the clincher. The arena of giving is the only place where exactly what's going on in your heart is revealed. The only way God can know what's going on in your, the only way I can know is my giving or the lack of my giving? Giving. One more line. According to Jesus, giving keeps your heart in motion toward God and away from material things. Your heart will follow the direction of your giving. I, end quote. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the truth of Calvary. The more you give, the less you need. That's the truth of the cross. That's the truth of contentment. The more you give the less you need. No, it really works that way. I'm going to tell you a story in just one second that, in fact, proves it for me. But I want to get one more line. I wish I'd put this in the study guide, but uh, didn't have it. came after the study guide. So just jot this down. We'll put it on the screen. Could it be that giving is the antidote that we need to discontentedness? Giving is the antidote. That's poison. We talked about the cobra a moment ago. The antidote is what will save you from the serpent's poison. Could it be that giving is the antidote? It will save you from the serpent's, serpent's poison because we've all been poisoned and the serpent has told us all, you're not, you're not happy, boy, with what you got. You've got to have more. Girl, you're not happy with what you have. You have to have more. Go get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Could it be that giving is the antidote to that discontentedness we live with? Now, here's, here's the story. Happened to a young friend of mine this week. When he heard about what I was preaching, he told me the story. He said, I can't believe this happened to me two days in a row. Beginning of the week, he's in front of his house. He's visiting with a friend of his. They're just talking. When, unbelievably, in that neighborhood, here comes shuffling in disheveled dress. What we call a homeless person. That's what we call him. Homeless person. The man comes shuffling up to where my young friend was standing, visiting with his buddy. And the man says, you know... 
I want to get a soda. Could you give me some change? The moment somebody asks you about money for a soda, you know, you're thinking, you're retranslating that in your mind. He didn't want a soda. He wants this. He wants that and so on. But you know, I'm proud of my young friend. He just reached into his pocket and he, he, he all the change that he had in his pocket, he just gave it to the man. Say, hey, go ahead. Man shuffled off. Two days later, same young friend. He's down here at the gas station in town, getting ready to take out a bank loan so that he can fill his car. Can you believe it? What has happened? It's only going to get worse, folks. It's only going to get worse. Now, I want to hit, I hit the pause button right here. These prices aren't going down. They'll go down maybe a little. We're in for a long haul here. Everything's going to get more expensive. If there were an hour that would be appropriate to get out of debt, it might be this one. So he's, he's going down to the gas station. He just got $100, a $100 bill was given to him. And he said, I need clothes bad. I need some shoes. I need some clothes. I'm going to get some gas in my car and then I'm going to go out and go down to the mall. I'm going to buy some clothes that I am needing. All right. I need these clothes. As he's getting ready to take the pump and put it into his car, a lady at the next island of the gas station calls out to him. She says, excuse me, sir. He looks over. Here's a woman. She's about as poor as that homeless man he saw two days earlier. She's driving a jalopy. I mean, the car is just on its last gasp. She has a naked little boy standing in the front seat, naked from the waist up. She's obviously not the possessor of great means. She said, excuse me, sir, I have a gas card. I am filling my car now with gas, but I have no money. I need a place to stay tonight. Could you help me? In fact, here's what let's do. I'll let you use my gas card. You put it on my credit card. Isn't that something? She has a credit card. You put it on my gas card. And then would you give me the equivalent in cash so that I could have a place to stay tonight? And my young friend looked at her. said, wait right here. He went into the gas station. That $100 that was going to buy him a tank of gas and some clothes. He said, can you change this, please? I'll get the gas in just a moment. They went ahead and changed it. He walked back out of that woman and he put two $20 bills in her hand. And he said, listen, find a place to stay tonight. And you know what he said to me? He said, Dwight. Just like that. I didn't need those clothes. I said, I'm not bad those shoes. I mean, I got clothes. I'm not naked. Giving is an antidote to discontentedness. I got to have it. I just got to have it. We got to have that couch. Do you know how many years we've been sitting on this couch? I'm tired of sitting on this couch. Let's get a new couch. I got a pennies card. Let's just charge it at pennies. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are strange creatures. We come up with all kinds of reasons why we got to have more of what we already have enough of. And that's what happened to that young man, that young adult. Something happened in his heart. He said, I don't need to go shopping. I can go without those shoes. He went home. Amazing. Must be true that if we give more, we'd be contented with less. So what do you say? What do you say we give our credit cards, huh? Let's give our credit cards to God. Jot that down. Give our credit cards to God. In fact, let's have the ushers come right now. Let's get those offering plates. I want <laughs> tell just tell right on the back the amount of credit you have left. We, we'll just max it out right here at the church, huh? Let's give our credit cards to God. By the way, if you ever sit down with a financial counselor, this is true. Stories are in the book. 
And I've heard others tell me this. You ever sit down with a financial counselor and you say, I'm maxed out, I'm up to my neck, eyeballs, actually. You know what the, you know what the uh, counselor will do? Take out those cards. I got a big pair of scissors here. And in front of that counselor, you go, First thing they'll have you do is cut up the plastic. There's some of us that need to do that. Though I want to be, this is the little caveat. Cutting up the plastic does not deal with the indebtedness you have already incurred. That's the ball and chain. But we don't want you to have to live with that ball and chain. You know what? Here at Pioneer, we offer a Christian counseling service called Crown Seminar. There's some of you... I want to invite you to just pick up the phone this next week and call our church office. Pastor Sharon is the pastor for church finance. She runs the Crown Seminar. I want you to come in. Remember, remember, one of the realities about indebtedness is we have to get enough courage to talk about it. We have to admit we're, we're in debt. That's the shameful secret that is holding us back and entrapping us. Call the church office. Nobody knows that you've called. Get some help. In fact, next Sabbath... Only in second service. By the way, you come to First Church, the academy will have the service. It'll be a beautiful service. I'm only going to share this one service next Sabbath, Second Church. I want to share some practical how-tos to begin coming out from under this indebtedness, the ball and chain that we're carrying. Come here and join us next Sabbath. But let's get back to the credit card. What would happen if we gave these credit cards to God? Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. Do you have a Sharpie pen? You know these Sharpie pens? Good to write on plastic. Here's what let's do. This is a credit card. Real life credit card. See? All right. Let's do this. What would happen? Because I'm not suggesting that if you stuff this, you know, give these credit cards to God, put it in an envelope, God in heaven, and just drop it in the mail. God doesn't need them. He doesn't want them. They'll never get to him anyway. When I talk about giving this credit card to God, the nice thing about credit cards, a lot of space. Take your Sharpie pen. All right? Sharpie pen. Don't write on the numbers. Don't write on your name or the expiration date. Okay? All right? And with the Sharpie pen, jot this down so that you'll remember it to do it when you get home. <laughs> write one word. Contentment. Okay? So you just write, you know how to spell contentment, don't you? All right. See that? Contentment. I'm not going to hold it so long that you can read my account number. <laughs> Contentment. Contentment. And then, that little word, by the way, that little word is going to keep reminding you, contentment comes from less, not more. In fact, put that in your study guide, the last line of your study guide. Contentment comes from less, not more. Every time you pull your credit card out, you're going to see the word contentment, and it's going to remind you, contentment comes from less, not more. And you know what you do by putting the word contentment on your credit card? You have turned your credit card into a talking card. That's what happens. This card is going to start talking to you. Yep, the next time you're in line, the next time you're in line waiting to go, you're going to reach into your wallet or your purse, you're going to pull your credit card out and it says contentment on it, and that card will start talking to you. In fact, that card will talk so loud that you may need to say to the cashier, I need to slip out of line just a minute. This is getting, would you just hold my place, hold that product, and you'll have to go somewhere where you can listen carefully because there's a lot of noise in stores where you purchase. You have to hear your card. And you put this, I'm telling you the truth, you put the little card up to your ear. And the card will ask you this question. No, don't let anybody see you do this. This is very embarrassing. <laughs> you put the little card up to your ear and the card will ask you this question immediately. The card that has contentment written on it. Have you given me to God? Yes, I have. <laughs> All right? 
Have you given me to God? Yes, I have. Then why are you making this purchase? Because I need it. Do you really? Do you really? Don't you remember that contentment comes from less, not more? Do you need, do you need this? And the card will ask you, I'm telling you the truth, the card will ask you this question. Maybe you've confused me and God. You think I provide security. I don't. You think I provide contentment. I don't. You think I'm the one who says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That isn't me. That's God who made that promise, not me. I tell you what, my friend, why are you using me? Card, I'm using you because I have to rent a car. And the only way you can rent a car anywhere on the planet is to have a credit card. The card says, okay, that's the one reason why you can. (laughs) That's true. You can't rent a car without a credit card. Can't put cash down. No, you have to have a credit card. What I'm saying is, I understand there are some essential reasons, perhaps, to hang on to this card and not cut it up. But it says contentment on it. And the card says, please don't mistake me for God. I am not God. I'm a piece of plastic. But I can ruin your life. Out of control, I can destroy you. Don't let the snake get you. Why don't you put me where you and I are the safest? Back in your wallet. Then you come back to line and say, you know what, I, th- I think I can wait. Um, I need to put that back on the shelf. You know, people will think you're crazy. But heaven will consider you wise. For has the scripture not said, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we shall take nothing out of it. Not even our credit cards. Not even the credit cards go to heaven. You'll have to leave them here. Paid off. Let us pray. Oh God, just a piece of plastic. Big deal. Holy Father, it is a huge deal. America is more indebted today than in human history. And we can't get out of it. We cannot get out of it. The very poor, the very young, the rest of us, we, the tentacles are there. We're driven to have more. We've just got to have it. We've got to have it. And look where we've gotten ourselves. Dear God, have mercy on us. And I believe, Father, you will. You couldn't be the greatest being in the whole universe and not be moved with compassion for these balls of chain that we drag behind us. So, Holy Father... For every man, woman, and young adult in prayer right now, for every heart that's saying, oh, if only I could be set free, whisper, whisper that the first Memorial Day is a guarantee that there will be freedom full, full and free in Christ. You have a way. We'll explore that way in our continuing journey. But let the quiet contentment of Christ even now begin to steal over our souls. Just a word on a credit card, but may that word assure us that the greatest contentment in this life will come from having more, more and more of Him who is our contentment. May we do with less when we have the most of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.